The Marty's Music Kitchen podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Oregon Music News. Welcome to Marty's Music Kitchen, the fun music and food podcast where anything can happen. On this episode, we're with the king of coffee and the Duke of Juke, Mr. Rich Layton. Rich has been widely recognized by the International Blues and Cascade Blues Associations for his celebrated album, Salvation Road, which came out in 2019. But did you know that he is also well known for his coffee? He hides a coffee roasting machine in his house and treats band members and friends to espresso and fresh brew. Even Lyle Lovett has called Rich from the road to consult his expertise on coffee machine recommendations. Can you believe it? So come roast some coffee with Roots Rock frontman, Rich Layton, coming right up on Marty's Music Kitchen. Rich, welcome to the show. Hi, Marty. Good morning. We have um, this lovely roasty coffee that you just made me. What did you make me? A latte? I made you a latte, and it has cinnamon dolce. Nice. All right. Cheers. Cheers. And this is my first taste of your beautiful coffee this well, morning. I'm a quart low, so let me get busy here. Oh, my gosh. That is delicious. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I roast my own coffee. I'm so impressed that you make your own. Yeah, I guess we've been at it about 25, no more, probably 30 years. Really? Yeah. No we'll kidding. A, we'll, we'll take a roaster tour. We'll roast you a pound of coffee before you leave and get you squared away. Oh so. my gosh. Well, I'll have to tell you, I love coffee. I like it a little bit sweet, not too sweet. Um, and if you give me a straight cup of coffee, it's embarrassing. I have a hard time drinking it. Um, I get like what they used to call bitter beer face. <laughs> um, I just never learned to drink it, but with I found that with a little bit of milk or something in it, and just a hint of sweet, whatever that is, I'm good. I I like it in the morning. So I don't judge people for drinking it anywhere they like. Really? You know? Yeah. It's well, for the, me, the one rule around here is you don't leave coffee. So on rehearsal nights on Thursdays, I make a pot of coffee. Yeah. And it's like, I don't let anybody leave until all the coffee's gone. You know, we have <laughs> coffee and cookies at rehearsal. But it's like, uh-uh, 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 we're not leaving coffee. You know, drink it all before you leave. I'm trying to identify, I don't know the words to describe coffee. So help me describe this. Oh, oh, that is a tough one. Uh, sometimes I have used, uh, you know, the wine drinking palette. So there is a... One of the coffees in there is kind of sweet for the where your sweet pickup taste buds are on the front of your tongue, uh -huh. and then there's a uh, there's mid palate and there's finish, and so uh, that the four beans in there are uh, Sumatra, uh, which is kind of the dark body for the finish, and the uh, sweet is the Costa Rica for kind of the front part of your palate, and then um, there is some Guatemala, which is kind of mid palate. It's a pretty earthy coffee. And then uh, uh, a hint of something called monsoon Malabar, which is basically <laughs> they, they grow a coffee in, in India and then they spread it out in warehouses and open up the big windows during the monsoon season. And the moisture sort of leaches the, the bitter acidity out of the beans and they're kind of parchment color when you get them and they are responsible for the crema in the shot which you didn't see because i put you know put milk on top of it but when we pull a shot 
um, you'll be able to see the crema that comes from the monsoon Malabar. And it also is kind of a mid-palate. That just comes from the beans itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible coffee to drink by itself. It's, people refer to it as dirty socks. It tastes like dirty socks. But in uh, a well, blend, it has a purpose. This doesn't taste like dirty socks at all. No, it doesn't. You're right. You're right. Congratulations. So. Your coffee is better than <laughs> dirty socks. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of become part of my brand. It's, you know, so I'm the guy that brings coffee. And, and I mean, in, in my consulting business, oh, let's get that guy that, that makes the great coffee. And I travel with it. And when I'm in a corporate setting and I'm in the break room and I'm making my own, and it's always a conversation starter. And then, you know, over the years, my musician friends have, you know, kind of learned to rely on me. And so uh, when I go to see my friends come through town, I always bring a bag of coffee, a couple pounds of coffee. So uh, Lyle Lovett's request is, well, could you do some Sumatra for us? And so, you know, it's like, you, not the blend, just the Sumatra. I really like your Sumatra. Wow. And, uh, and, you know, when I go to see Lucinda Williams is an old friend, and, you know, she and I live together, so she knows my coffee. Right, and passion. you guys used to sing together, too, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 play together. So, you know, it's like, that's how I get invited back. Be the guy that brings great coffee that can't, you can't get anywhere else. So you get them addicted to your coffee. First cup's free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the rest comes with you performing, which you do now uh, on a regular basis, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rich Layton and Tough Town is the name of the band for the last three years. We kind of rebranded uh, with the last album. Did you write a lot of the songs yeah. on, that, on that new album? Yep. All but one. So there's two albums of original plus one cover. And then uh, the fir very first album was more of a mix of stuff, a couple originals, but mostly covers. Try to dig up obscure stuff. And, um, I, you know, I grew up music musically on the Gulf Coast. Uh -huh. And so you're exposed to so many different kinds of music compared to other parts of the country. You know, there's four or five kinds of blues, there's garage rock, there's Tejano rock, there's, there's the influence of Louisiana, and all of that is kind of re it's represented in what I do. And when I moved up here and people said, well, what kind of music do you play? And it's like, how long you got for me to explain it to you? you know? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I want to know if this coffee would be termed as swampadelic or swamp horrific. I'm like, what is, what, what is that? I could do my own blend. I, know. I, I read that about your music, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Right. Well, it's swampy. It's a little, uh, you know, I grew up in the psychedelic era, if you will, and, and some, some of it, you know, you like it to sound kind of swirly and kind of take people into places they haven't thought about being before. So I love Influence. that idea. And so, yeah, yeah. Now, I understand that you haven't always been known as or wanted to be known as a songwriter you were like a closet songwriter yeah. is that what they is that true yeah i guess it's true it's like i just didn't one of the issues for me is that i don't play the guitar i don't play the piano i broke my arm and guitar was never possible to kind of really get comfortable on uh i always wanted you know i would go home from school and sing along with records and just that's where i kind of lost myself and one day there's a knock on the door and my mom had let a couple of my school buddies in who were walking down the street and they heard me singing. And they said, we want you to be the singer in our band. How old were you? 15, 14. Oh, and they, were they older than you? Nope. Oh. We were all kind of contemporaries and nobody, nobody really knew that about me. Huh. Um, and so that's how I got my start. But when it came to songwriting, I would be in bands with people who walked in with completed songs and chords and let me show you how they go. When I write a song, I 
have a melody and I have words and then I have to get to a place where I'm comfortable sitting down with a guitar player and singing a cappella and slapping my knee mm -hmm. and having that guitar player, you know, take, you know, the melody always tells you what the chord should be. And so I've had three or four, you know, people that have uh, been really supportive of me over my long career that said, no, you, you really are, you're good. You're, this stuff is good. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed about it. And then I read that there's a lot of other, like there's a guy named Arthur Alexander who wrote tons and tons of songs in the 50s. And, and he, he carried lyrics around in pieces of paper on his pocket. And he, I mean, he wrote Anna, things by the, that the Beatles have covered. He wrote, there's a whole song, de uh, uh, album dedicated to him. And it's like, well, okay. You know, and Paul McCartney doesn't write music. He doesn't read music. You know, there's a lot of ways to, to get your songs out there without necessarily having to bring them fully formulated and perfected into the world. See, this is really good for me to hear because a lot of my music, I'll write it and then I'll sketch it all out on a computer and then I'll be like, I have no idea what this crunchy chord is or I'll have to deconstruct it, do my best, and then I have to call in. I know a lot of piano players and I'll just say, hey, help me out. Can you help clarify I got the right chords or what do you think this is? And he'll say, is it supposed to be this? Or it's supposed to be this. I was always kind of embarrassed at first that I didn't know what it was. So um, it's helpful for me to know that you don't have to have it completely finished. And probably to all those budding songwriters out there too that, you know, if you've got an idea and you've got good lyrics, maybe you pair up with someone who's got a good melody line or right. talented at that, you right. know. And collaboration is a completely different animal nowadays. That's right. So. And the, and the, uh, the creativity is what it's all about, right? I mean, maybe it's meant to be out there in some form. So, cool, good ideas. Yeah. Um, Should do you we make, make some another... cappuccinos? Yeah, let's make some. Well, you know, we've got my crew here, and plus you were how much short now? I was a quart. Now I'm probably, you know, half a quart. Do so you need to pint. make yourself a coffee in between? No, but I'll make him one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. All right, so we have to refill our All right. frothing pitcher with some fresh cold milk here. The Stainless steel pitchers should be cold. The issue with frothing is that uh, is usually you keep it in the refrigerator. And the, the colder the pitcher in the milk is, the longer you can expose it to the heat of the steam wand and build up the body of the froth that you're after. All right. That's part of the magic. Espresso machine is still good, so grinding. And over the course of the day, you might have to change the grind based on the humidity and the temperature because you're after a certain length of shot. We just turned this into barista training video. Oh, okay, Let's great. Let's sell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty fancy machine there, my friend. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very old machine, actually. It's kind of an antique. We've had it since we moved here, actually. Um, one thing I did do in the past year or so is graduate to what's called the bottomless portafilter. So uh, instead of, let me see, let me get the other one out here. This is a typical portafilter where the coffee comes out, these, the spout, right, on both sides. I've seen but, one of those before, yeah, yeah. but I, yeah. So I graduated to, uh, for Christmas, I got myself the bottomless portafilter. Very anyway, and cool. It just added a dimension to the, to the shot, to the coffee. All right, so we get a 32-pound pack, approximately. A 32-pound? 32, 32 pounds, yeah. So you've got a certain grind, you've got 32 pounds that you press it down with, you're creating a certain density of the coffee itself. 
And then which button are you pushing well, on? Well, I'm just, uh, th I don't have this program much anymore. The coffee comes through all the holes for, for the first part of the shot, and then it kind of settles onto that really nice, beautiful. Oh, and there's the crema that I was talking about. Look at that about, beautiful that color. Part. So that's about my pretty. ounce and a half. Oh, I was going to, I said I would put a hint of sugar in. Some people think that's sacrilegious, but a hint of sugar. And then you have two cup sizes. This is the smaller cup, so. Yeah, this is the cappuccino cup. I think it's a six ounce cup. And it, a cappuccino versus a latte is really about the amount of milk that you're using in the drink. Cappuccino versus latte is the amount of milk. So cappuccino has less milk? Uh, cappuccino has less milk, right. <laughs> this is where there's a little bit of art and a little bit of luck in terms of, is that, am I having a good froth day? How is the milk, you know? Um, it's pretty good. You're listening for that little shushy sound there. Shushy sound? Shushy. That's a technical term, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, make it sure. That's pretty good. Get to see I'm increasing the volume of the milk by adding steam to and add air to it so it's fluffier. Okay, and did you, I mean, m most people I see have a thermometer attached to it? Yeah. I don't do that. Oh, look at your technique. You're kind of wiggling the foam. As yeah, it that's how in. latte art. I get lucky some days. This is yours. All right. Tell me about, um, I mean, my gosh, how did you evolve into roasting coffee? What made you want to do that? You know, as a kid, I drank coffee. And um, how old were you when you were? Probably 10 or 11. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know. It's just my thing. And then I, uh, years later, let's see, when did I start? I went to a, a yard sale and I bought a coffee grinder that didn't have a top. So I had to go find a top for the coffee grinder, which I got at uh, one of the first uh, coffee shops in Houston. It's called House of Coffee Beans. And then that's where I was introduced to buying, you know, uh, uh, varietal, freshly roasted coffee beans and started drinking that kind of coffee for years. And, and one day uh, a friend of ours said, for as much coffee as you guys drink, I can't believe you don't roast your own coffee. And you so went, what? Went, what? <laughs> and at the time, they were, guys were taking hot air corn poppers and modifying them so you could roast coffee. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I would they, never they, have thought of that. Yeah, well, we fried a bunch of them because we drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> and uh, so we moved back to Houston and, uh, and ran into a fellow that had a coffee shop. And he had a, uh, he'd had 15 or 20 of these big, you know, sort of in-store coffee roasters made. And he put them into like grocery stores and stuff, but it, they turned out to be too much trouble for the grocery stores to maintain them. So he put them all in a warehouse and said, well, can we buy one? And he said, well, sure, but he made us sign a non-compete agreement like we were ever gonna go into business, you know? We're gonna build our own roaster. A friend of mine picks up the roaster in San Antonio from a warehouse, brings it back to Houston, and we pick up a bucket of chicken and we sit around the table. He goes, well, I guess we should get started. So we go out, we get started, and at 5.30 in the morning, we roasted our first pound of coffee. <laughs> so, it was you know, crazy. Just so that you could have your, your, your fresh coffee that morning, that was your first I experiment? I don't know. It was just like we just got in the zone. I'm digging the 30-foot ditch to run the conduit and the wire. He's inside building a little shelf for it, 
and then uh, we come up short on the wire. Oh, so, no. so at like four in the morning, he says, here, take this two by four and, and knock me if I get shocked. And he starts <gasps> moving the breakers in the breaker box so we can get the wire up and hook up the coffee Oh my rolls. God, if I get shocked, no problem. My music will be better than ever, uh, you know, whatever. So we, after that, then we always had bins, uh, Rubbermaid bins across the back of the house because you had to buy a 135-pound bag is this was the standard bag of coffee. 135 yeah. pounds. So after we figured out what kind of beans we wanted, then we would you had to buy a, a bag of each of them. Oh, sir, that and is as long a lot as they stayed cool and dry, if they never got wet, the green beans would last in not indefinitely, but a couple year and a half easy. Now coffee roasting has become so uh, popular. And it's kind of brought down to the masses, and there's websites, Sweet Maria's, and other websites where you can buy small amounts of beans. You can buy tabletop roasters. You can sort of get your foot in the door with roasting in a very you know easy, casual way, and not as not the way that not we as are. full bore as you not did. As full bore, Both right. feet in the right, coffee right. pool. Right. Uh, it's like I've had uh, my brother opened a coffee shop in Bernie, Texas, and we helped him. And people said, well, "Why don't you? Uh, why aren't you in the business?" And it's like because it would ruin it. You know, uh, it would just ruin it. Yeah, because then you turn your play into work. Right. Right. right and right. that's that's the thing they say sometimes that you know kills your joy. I mean, there's like my I'm gonna say it's a hobby is music. I mean, it's really not. It's a, it's completely 100% who I am. It's like woven into my soul. But that's not my day job. I mean, one, um, I haven't been lucky enough to make a steady paycheck out of it, and I very much enjoy a steady income. Um, also, you know, if it was just like we're practicing classical, um, I didn't enjoy it. Not nothing against classical. I love to listen to it, but I didn't enjoy practicing it. Mm. It was that work that you know. It was like going against the grain. I just didn't enjoy it. Right, and right. Well, I guess about, I spent about four years maybe making a living at it and being in a band and driving around in the van and doing all that stuff. And I started to hate it because I was tired of starving, you know, on behalf of my art. Uh, the band played in Memphis and uh, I was sitting in the back room and, and uh, one of the people said, hey, you should come out and meet this guy. He just bought five of our albums. And I met this fellow, he was a creative director for a production company in Memphis, Tennessee. And he gave me his card, and uh, I sent him some, you know, just kind of stayed in touch, and, uh, and then sent him a resume. And he called me up, the phone rings one day, says, Rich, you're the, you're the script writer we've been looking for, how quickly can you get to Memphis? Uh, and that kind of started my path back into, you know, dusting off my degree, and and finding some other creative outlet that paid the bills, basically. And, you know, mm -hmm. Yep, I have, uh, my degree is actually in voice performance. It is in music. Oh, okay. But I ended up teaching because the first four years of my college were all emphasis in education. Uh, music, but also computers and technology because that came easily sure, to me. Yeah, yeah. And then that evolved into change management. And so I still teach. I still get to facilitate, I create curriculum, and I love my day job. I love it. But I equally love the music as well. So right. it's kind right. of, uh, and the podcast, it's like, for me, the best of all all worlds. Right. I think any time that you, I've had a couple of jobs where I used to describe it as well, I have to pull some spark plug wires before I walk in the door. 
Yeah. And it's like, no, I wanted to do something with my life that every cylinder that I have been given gets to fire. Yeah. And so being able to do music and uh, being able to, I once watched a couple of engineers nearly come to, to blows over where an arrow should go on a flow chart. The way you or I might argue about it should be this chord, not that chord. And I realized that even engineers, everybody has their own art. Everybody has their own creative spark, regardless of the discipline. There's a piece of it that they really invest themselves in passionately. And from that day on, I've been able to really communicate well with engineers, you know, and they, they hire me and they pay me to communicate on their behalf. So it's great. I really enjoy that piece. Right. And, and now, you know, it's kind of come full, full circle that when my clients find out that I mm -hmm. have a band and, you know, it's, you know, they want to get my music and they want to check out the videos and they want to talk about who I get to play with and stuff like that. And so it's kind of helped me kind of integrate finally all, you know, uh, be, be myself in every situation on every stage. It's like if you can be yourself in every situation, you know, you're so blessed. And that is... It's so funny, that has also been my journey. Like in jobs of the past, when I wanted that steady paycheck feeling, I was always that round peg trying to fit in that square hole and it never worked. And I always had to hide that, right? And this job that I have currently, I adore, and they love that side of me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I, when I evolve to having shows again and start to work on that new album, these will be my number one fans. Yeah. And I just feel such a, sense of freedom now that I've never felt before and that sounds a lot like what you're describing. Absolutely. I, I, for the last 25 years I've lived an asshole free life. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't have to work with people that are assholes. I don't have to work with them as clients. I don't have to go into a job and I don't have to have them in my band. It's great. That's fantastic. That's worth a lot of money. Yeah, an asshole free life. That's got to be a quote right there, right? <laughs> Show me what you're working with.
We can go all the way to the music room if you want. To. There's a music room? Yeah. Cool. Going in here. Well, it's kind of the all-purpose room, actually. It turned into the exercise room during the pandemic also. And uh, I keep everything here except guitars. And uh, we just plug in. I drink will. coffee, of course. That's very cool. Yeah. This is a really nice space. Oh, thanks. Do you so, have uh, soundproofing in here? If it's yes. The, it's, uh, we double-thick the, the uh, sheetrock. And then um, I've had, I had these uh, theater drapes uh, for the other house we lived in. And I brought them over here. And they're, they're like 60-ounce theater drape. Oh, yeah. They're really yeah. heavy. Right. And so then carpeting and then a couple other sound panels. Oh, yeah. I so, see that now. That's you know, sneaky. Double, double solid door. You put sound panels on the front of your cabinet. I did that. I mean, somebody gave me those. And I started thinking about And that's for the hi-fi because... That sort of captures the early reflections of the speakers uh -huh. and just kind of knocks down anything that bounces around so that you're hearing most of the, the sound coming from the hi-fi. Okay, so I'm really curious to know uh, because I have hereditary hearing loss. So do I. Well, not, mine's not hereditary. It's rock and roll hearing loss. So. I heard. Yeah. I mean, actually, I read that you had a kind of an, a struggle with, like a multi-layered struggle with hearing loss. Tell me yeah. about it. Uh, well, I, you know, it was in, I guess, after four or five years of being, you know, full-time musician and sometimes play happy hour here, play the evening here, play rock and roll, and then go on tour, uh, my ears would ring and you'd get up in the morning and they wouldn't. And one morning I got up and they were still ringing. Um, so then I started wearing earplugs to play all the time. And learning how to play and sing and get used to how everything should sound with earplugs in. Uh, but I'm then, surprised you didn't have like those moldy, molding. Oh, you mean in-ear monitors? Yeah, that. Uh, I'm frightened of those because you've been to places where the monitors suddenly squeal because somebody pushed the wrong button. Yes, well, that's Well, imagine if they were painful. in your ears and that happened. I'm too afraid of that happening to I you. I didn't realize that would happen in your ears too, so now I'm not a fan either. <laughs> I, 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 I might be speaking out of turn because I've never used them, mm -hmm. but that was always my fear is, oh my God, what if that squealing monitor there were oh, squealing in my ears and that would, would do more damage? That so. would wreck me permanently. Yeah, yeah. So I've had three times where I was doing great in my musical career and my hearing just said, no, you're not, you're done. Three uh, times. Yeah, always when like great stuff was happening. So I've had to do a lot of soul searching in the truest sense of the word about what is it about my ears that doesn't like me being successful mm -hmm. when I'm, when and, and sort of being, dealing with the guilt around Something that really brings you joy and yeah. you feel guilt for that. I, I, <laughs> I have the same, that's what I feel right now with all of my music. And I think, how would I feel if I left the planet tomorrow and the music was still sitting on this piano? Yeah. I feel horrible about that because yeah. they're such good songs, but nobody else knows them but me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have that same sense of guilt of, ah, I got to do that. Ah, I got to, you know. I just so, need to dedicate some time. Somewhere to I found a poster and took a photo of it and posted it a couple of times. Don't die with the music in you. Oh. <laughs> like, oh. Don't die with the music in don't you. Don't die with the you music could, in you. You can ah, sing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so, don't do anyway, that. Anyway, so, yeah, and, and so I would always sort of have to come back. I'd be miserable. My family was like, no, nah, you got to figure something out. So I You would, mean when you weren't singing? When I wasn't doing, making music, you know. And, and so was that would, because of the hearing issue? yeah. yeah. And so what I had to do is find people who were willing to work with me on volume. 
And it, it turns out that, you know, if you own your volume and you can manage your volume and you play quietly, you're a lot more marketable. <laughs> you can play a lot more places. If you're not blasting if, people If you're up. willing to have that discipline around it and figure out how to, to play like that. So um, really blessed with, you know, my current lineup in particular because people compliment us all the time and that's what gets us hired back. It's like, oh yeah, these guys, you know. See, I just recently ordered a little jar of um, the earphones, the foamy ones up to a certain decibel level yep. that you can just hang around your neck mm -hmm. because I can't go to concerts and I can't go to sometimes even just jazz bars or whatever right. where I'm listening to music with my friends, whether it's, you know, whatever genre. I can't go on that off chance that I have to, it's too loud for me. Right. And I, I've even, in movie theaters, I've even been known to rip up pieces of napkin and put them in my ears so that I could I could dampen that sound that hurts, that makes me go, ah, right. ow, I'm ow. gonna recommend something that I wish I had known about sooner. I wore, I stuffed foam ear earplugs in for, th for 25 years and sometimes I put wax on top of that. Wow. But, I, but by cutting out all that high frequency information, I actually made the ringing kind of worse because your brain is looking for that and it doesn't get it from the outside so it manufactures it. It's like, we're bored, let's make this frequency ring in your brain. No kidding. Yeah, and that's, that's wow. the nature of, of tinnitus or tinnitus, depends on how you pronounce it. Anyway, musicians earplugs that are molded to your ears they mm -hmm. cost a couple bucks but and then you pick, can pick out filters that like do i want to hear you know uh, i can filter 15 17 22 db out <sighs> and and so it's full frequency sound but at a reduced volume and is that a particular brand name uh, yeah i'll tell you about those later there's a couple of different ones to go about them but uh, yeah, I, th I wish I'd known about them sooner, and I didn't get my first pair till you know, like 10 years ago. Well, send that information to me, and I'll put it in the description of the podcast oh, yeah. and the YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah. Um, so other people know that, that secret as well. That's really great information. Yep, yep. I mean, the attention to hearing loss and to people protecting their hearing, especially with kids and earbuds and stuff, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really great to see that happening. Huh. I have a carton of the foam ones upstairs. Like, you know, if, we, if I'm doing something outside that I really need to, to you know, power washing or, or whatever it might be, a vacuum cleaner, right. I would use those. But I would drive around with those in my car, and if I saw somebody with a backpack leaf blower, I would pull over and say, hey, man, you got to, you, you, please, because once your ears are gone, you can't. You were preaching. Yeah, yeah. You were I preaching. Was like, You're I was like, like man, the, I'm the Johnny Appleseed of foam earplugs, man. Uh, well, so. well, actually, a lot of the gardeners I see now have the big old yeah, they, yeah, ear protection yeah. on. It's, a, it's it, Again, they're, they're, they've learned as well. They've yeah. gotten educated And I've been well, very so. fortunate that the people that uh, I've passed this summer, mostly, uh, who are gardeners with leaf bowlers or work for the city or whatever, um, they usually stop blowing when, when they hear by when or, they're walking by or yeah. driving by. Yeah. Which owning a pretty new black metallic car, oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh -huh. um, but not only that, if I happen to have my window rolled down, right. you know, and that's the worst too. You've got your window rolled down for whatever reason, and you go by a truck or a bus or something, and it goes. That is 
Oh yes, the air brakes. It hurts so yeah. much. Yeah. It's like oh. Yep. Gosh. I've had to. I know, and I often will carry earplugs in my pocket for that reason if we're out on Canyon Road or something like that. Yeah, so. something like that. Well, the coffee roaster's probably hot. All right, let's Be go. Be sure you grab my. So this is a drum, a dr the drumhead logo, and and I fixed it so it's two color now. So this is going to be that on is so cool. T-shirt logo also. I I can't wait to get my T-shirt. Right. Okay, wait. This okay. is fascinating. You got to take me through. I don't even know what I'm okay, looking at. Okay, I will. At. So I am going to make you a pound of Costa Rican because it's nutty and sweet, and I think you'll enjoy it. So this is what green beans look like, and you really can't tell one variety from the other based on just the green beans. You know, it's kind of crazy. Here, um, pick up another handful okay. of that. I want to see it again. What right. is it? So this is Costa Rica from the Terra Zoo region. Wow. And, how I mean, and it comes from, I mean, there's differences in how coffee tastes based on if it was, you know, this farm or that farm or this altitude or that altitude. They feel smooth. Like there's a, it's almost like a waxy coat on them. They come out of a cherry and then they're, they're hulled and then they're washed. And as we roast them, there's a parchment around here that will come flying out. So, so I'm going to roast you a pound of Costa Rica that you oh, guys right. can take with you. Now the roaster is sort of calibrated. The scoop came with the roaster. And this is an air vent that determines how high the beans bounce while you're roasting. So, and we're at 400 something degrees now. All right, so did you just go in there and then turn it and dump it? Yep, I just dumped it and in now. And a little hole in the side of this giant machine. Come on over here machine. and you can see what's happening. Uh, describe to me how this works. There must be some kind of a heating element underneath. Yeah, there's a kind of like what would be in your dry, electric dryer mm -hmm. uh, down here in the bottom. And there's a, a fan in here, a, squ a squirrel cage fan, they call it. It's circular. It turns like this and it's sending air up through the heater on the bottom. So you've got hot air roasting. So you, so the air is the agitator. Sounds like a popcorn popper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popcorn popper on steroids. <laughs> Now the chaff is coming out, and this is my... Oh my gosh, check it. It's that's what like, I have to do. I, I don't know if this was ever right, but you know, this is kind this of... This is your, the rich latent technique? It was supposed to have something that caught this on top, but that part never worked, and then I always have to go brush it out of my hair. So this is just like the little, um, you're calling it chaff, it's but it's It's called chaff, like, yeah. It's like the little, the holes. It's like the skin on the outside of the bean. There's a skin that comes off. And does that mostly off when you buy them, or I mean, no, it's gone. Extra? Yeah, the roasting it disappears in roasting. So, and I would think that there'd be this roasty smell. I don't. I it's mean, not I, yet. It I didn't don't get there. Oh, okay, good. And I have occasionally, I'll confess to you, caught this on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from that super light greenish gray, and now look, we're getting tan. Oh wow! It's already starting to turn. Yeah, and and as the moisture cooks off, then. It, getting higher and higher. Can you see it? Very cool. The beans are so happy. Yeah. They're dancing. So tell me about, you say that you often cook with coffee, and I want to throw my listeners some recipes here. Tell me about what uh, what are some of the things you cook with coffee? Well, I've, I've always called coffee, you know, my secret ingredient. You can take fine ground coffee and you can add it to, uh, uh, if you're baking something, uh -huh like uh, chocolate brownies or something you can put a little ground you know that in you mm -hmm. can you can use it on a rub for barbecue or for anything that you're cooking grilling 
uh, add it to a rub to create, give it a kind of a smoky flavor. Uh, I'll, I'll put a shot of espresso into barbecue sauce, into chili, uh, into uh, uh, beans, uh, you know, anything that is savory and you want to add a little extra depth to it. So you're adding it in already liquefied, not not like ground up coffee. Well, no, it, it could be, but it could be either. It depends on what I'm, what what you're using it for. Um, you know, if it's if it's going to be in like a brownie where you won't necessarily taste it, uh, and if it's a super fine grind, uh, because sometimes putting the liquid in throws off your consistency. Uh, right. Right. So you you know if you you are you back off on the water or whatever liquid that you're using so that you can put a one ounce shot in. And sometimes it will be coffee for a little bit less, but most of the time my go-to is, yeah, let's pour a shot. And if I might, you know, use half the shot and drink the other half. So Lyle, love it, is a fan of your coffee. And is that because you toured with him? Uh, I, I mean, we connected, you know, we came up together in Houston and he used to come watch our bands play and watch us because he's younger. Um, and then I got up here and he came through town and I stood over on the side and said, hey, Lyle, we're a long way from a place called Anderson Fair. And he goes, who's that? I said, it's Rich Layton. He goes, Rich, my God, I got one of your suits in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> You mean he's, uh, are you guys about the same well, it, stature? It was, a, it was a suit that I bought and didn't really wear because it was too tall. He's taller than I am. Uh -huh. But there's a whole other connection to an old girlfriend of mine that had a vintage shop in Houston. And, and, and he tells his story about, you know, oh, well, this, this suit belonged to Rich Layton. <laughs> oh, Rich Layton's suit. So well, anyway, so yeah, know. so we connected and he's been a big coffee drinker. and. Uh, he tours with a case of coffee from a place in, in Austin called Anderson and Company that is a great roaster and also a very old, old roaster. Um, and his, uh, he's a Sumatra guy, and they have a dark roast Sumatra that they tour with. One day I get a call and he goes, the coffee pot died on the bus, what should we get? <laughs> and he so, called you for so advice. I'll show you the coffee pot. So by then we had moved up and we had researched and we bought this this coffee pot made in, I think it's Denmark, it's called a Mocha Master. And it's like, Mocha it was Master. approved by the Specialty Coffee Association of America, you know, wow. for having a certain consistent brewing temperature. It takes this long to brew your coffee. So he bought two of them so he'd have a spare. So when I go on his bus now, I know I'm going to get a good cup of coffee. Aww, I like uh, let's that take, story. Let's take a look. So I'm going to drop a few beans out. All right, I'm going to get out of the way. So you just have a button, it releases there, the beans down into the tray. There's all the coffee. Oh, wow. All right, now, it's, so it's still roasting because uh, it creates an endothermic reaction. It goes from heat on the outside to being heat on the inside like a steak. It's still cooking after you take it off. Oh, so yeah. a little spritz of water stops the roasting process. So it doesn't keep getting darker. So it doesn't keep getting darker, right. I've heard that if you grind it, it loses, well, like you should keep yeah, it in whole it bean form. Yeah, if you can, if you can keep it in beans, that's We're going to keep the beans in. You don't need to grind it for okay. me. I will, I, I'm pretty sure I have one. I know my guy has one, so ah, well, there you we go. will be enjoying this okay. and splitting it with my sound crew, which is awesome. Cool. My audio visual people. All right. Um, okay, so we're going back upstairs? Yep. All right.
I'm following you. I'll just leave all this running. It's fine. It'll cool off. And... Good, I can come back up and finish my coffee. So oh, tell well, you me. Want a, you need a fresh one, probably. Yeah, tell me about, um, you know, I know you were once named not only the best dressed, which I can appreciate, one of the best dressed people in Texas, but also I think they said the Duke of Juke. And oh, the Juke yeah, is the harmonica, back, yeah. right? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so that band, Dr. Rocket and the Sisters of Mercy, got hired by some songwriters to record a couple of songs that they had written, but they didn't want to perform. Right. And so one of the, John Wayne had just died, and these guys wrote a tribute song to John Wayne thinking they could cash in. And so huh. I was elected to sing the song called The Duke, right? And it had a talking verse. And I had to drink heavily to make it work to like do the when to get I drank, the to get the draw to, to just to get the hey, you know it was a, it was a to get a dramatic talking verse you know uh, giant shoulders stretched across the sky I mean it was just like oh my god it was so bad but they were paying us <laughs> great money so so my so, so after that. You know, the the bass player starts calling me Duke, you know, it's like, oh, hey, oh Duke. man, come on, I, I got to have something hipper than that. And so I thought about, you know, little Walter is the most famous electric harmonica player there is, and he has a song called Juke. So at least can I be the Duke of Juke? And so that became my stage name in Dr. Rocket for years and years. That was the Duke of Juke. And well, you're known for the harmonica playing, right? Yeah, yeah originally. So I was like, I sang in, in, in high school. And was in a band, and then I went to college, and then when I got out of college, you know, Lucinda encouraged me to start playing harmonica again and playing with her and coming in through the whole folk music scene in Houston that then became how I sort of got into blues and rock and roll out of that scene. You, that's how you were swampified? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to, I mean, I've never played a harmonica before. And I thought it would be fun to try to get some tips from you. Oh, so, like if I wanted to pick it up and, you know, like what do you do? Right. Well, then what we should pause so I can go get one. Okay. And, and give you a new one so you can play a new one. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll hang out. So here is a brand new harmonica. Okay. Key of C. Key of C. All right, and I'm hoping that my camera guy is going to take some pictures too. I mean, he's got his hands. Hey, it matches there, your shirt. I can't believe it? that. <laughs> That's why I was asking if it was expensive. I was like, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> I can't believe it matches your shirt. That's I know. How hilarious. fun is that? Here's a, and it's called a. Oh, it's an M Hor uh, Honer. That's a Honer rock. That's a right? real common yeah. brand. Even I know that. Here, wait. <laughs> Taking a picture because it actually does match I know, my... I think I looked at it. Okay, oh, which is right side up? Um, I'm guessing, I see that one side has numbers on it, Right, so scale. these are the low notes, one, the low notes. There's an octave in the middle, and then there's some other notes on either side. Okay. Um, and we're into theory now, because if you're playing, 
If, if the piano's in C and I want to play a melodic accompaniment, I'd play a C harmonica, which is called straight harp, straight being straight to the key of the song or the key of the chordal instrument. Right. And are you playing a, a specialty one? It's a well, it's Suzuki? a it's a diff it's made by Suzuki, but it's a, I, I picked up a key of C, so I match your. And do you have like a fleet of harmonicas that yeah. you that are yeah. yours specialty? Well, they they don't last because the reeds go out, and you know you play them and you bend them. It's like you bend strings, uh. and the strings eventually break because you're bending them. Okay, the I get it. The reeds go out of tune because you you're stressing the metal to get to get a certain tone out of them or to get a note that's not natural to the reed, like ah. this. Like, so I'll bend one. So that's the same reed, but by the way you, you draw in the air, you change the pitch of the reed. Well, that wears them out. Okay, so how am I gonna, you like, okay, you're cupping it with your hands, do I do that too? Oh, you can, sure, because that's a, it's a, you know, it's an extra thing, tremolo. All right, I'm gonna try just like, wait, oh, wait. Like this. Yeah, any way you want to, you know. You just don't, this is the, where the sound comes out, so you want to not cover it up. You want to have access to. Okay, just like a horn. Like a yeah, mute, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like whatever you, you want like to play with. Or a plunger on a trombone. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, so any, just blow in it? Or yeah, you like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's suck a, it, or blow? That, that's, the, that's the best. <laughs> See, you've got two choices to make. You've got in, out, left, right. That's why I love it. Left, another, right? There's another one that's called push a button. That's a chromatic harp, and it was like I've seen those. Chess. That's too many things to choose from. Like okay, so there's one. That's several notes. How do you get just one? By getting by puckering up really good. The embouchure, embouchure. I used to play flute. I had one of those. Oh, ones. there you go. Cool. All right. So I got basics. And then go in. So you're playing straight harp. Woo, I'm Pretty out of breath. Cool. Now you're out of breath, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you use tongue blocking, so you get, you call them chords, but they're really octaves. So it's a little fatter sounding. Okay, so you're using your tongue to block the so middle the notes. The notes that don't fit, right. <laughs> it's, it's all I'm just, trying. It, for me, it was all just like hanging out in the shower at the dorm, you know. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it plays great in the shower. Sounds great. Water, steam helps the reeds all play easier. I spend hours at, at college in the shower learning to play harmonica, getting oh, better. so right, neat. So. All right, so. So that's, so that's straight harp. Now, in the blues mode, you're, you're playing what's called cross harp, second position. And so you follow the circle of fourths. So the guitar yep. is, in, is in G, and the song's in G. The harp is in C because it gives you a flatted seventh to play, which is a blues note. Yes, so, very so this smart. Would be... See how you turned it into a blues instrument by shifting the tone center that you're yeah. playing to. Otherwise, I mean, well, I mean, all the music I usually hear a harmonic on it in is blues. Pretty much, yeah. Or bluegrass, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, bluegrass folk. would be straight, mostly straight harp. Didn't you start off in a folk band? Yeah. And you were playing harmonic in a folk band, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I mean, do you play on almost every song, or is it just like a color that you want to bring in, like any... Like well, any instrument. That was a funny thing. When, when I became the front man, it's like, oh, I don't get to play harmonica as much. Oh. Uh, and when I, was, when I was a side man, 
I played a lot of chords and I treated the instrument as I, I considered it a rhythm instrument. Uh -huh. And so uh, there was a band that I was in, they used to have a keyboard player or they would bring an extra guitar player on tour and they stopped because I was playing this other, uh, taking this other approach to the instrument, not just playing uh -huh. licks, but so. And you do that for the whole song? You can play that behind the guitar player while he's taking the solo, you know. Oh my gosh, so I got dizzy after playing for like uh, 15 seconds. How could you even do that for a whole song? I, you know, I guess well, you just I, learn how to I, breathe, I, right? Oh, you know, I mean, I've, I've got good lungs and I um, you know, do a lot of aerobic exercise and I don't really practice this instrument much anymore. But uh, so now when I play, I might play an intro to the song, I'll sing, I'll play behind my guitar player while he's playing a lead and then I'll play a lead and then you know we'll be out and that's how much I typically play and, and but now you're a front man so you sing a lot more and I sing all of them yeah yeah, yeah exactly good, so. so yeah so someone else in the band plays the harmonica much to your chagrin no that's it I'm, I'm the guy I'm the harmonica player you're it yeah see for me I mean my color is scat I try not to scat on every song I think it's unfair actually that you know, you could people could hear a piano solo in every song, but you don't want to hear a scat solo in every song, which is completely like unfair. But I realize that, and so I try to spread it out. So I let my my guys take some, you know, some solos. But I mean, there are some songs. I'm sorry, I just have to scat. I'll take I'll take the first chorus or ten, and you take some after that. You right. know, or we'll trade, and you know, it's that whole thing. And to me, that's my color. It's not right. harmonica. It's scat. Sure. This would be such a cool element to have. You can just have it in your pocket and grab it out well, and you're making that, music. That's a double-edged sword because what happens is that, you know, there are unsophisticated harmonica players who carry them in their pockets. <laughs> you mean like me? No. Who will jump up and start playing whether it's a, whether they've been invited to or not or whether they're in the right key of the song. Uh. And so they will kind of, you know, it tars the reputation of anybody who, you know, plays this instrument. It's kind of like the musician's bane. You really want the audience to clap, but invariably you start. Oh, yeah, two. And then pretty soon it's. The one to three people. <laughs> and they can't clap in rhythm. So yeah, even yeah. though you're like trying to show them what, what the deal is, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that's pretty funny. But uh, anyway. So mm -hmm. where can people find out? You said Rich. Layton.us. Dot .us is the website. Rich Layton, L-A-Y-T-O-N, dot U-S. There's links to my whole sort of bio about all the people I played with in Lucinda days and, uh, you know, the Lyle connections and all those other connections. There's a description of us as a band and our kind of Texas roadhouse, Gulf Coast Swampadelic, all those terms that nobody understands. There's links to music. There's links to... Uh, videos on the band and then our calendar is up yeah there. nice car by the way oh thanks thanks it's out in the garage so what it's the daily drive oh we yeah. may have to stop that uh yeah. we'll, we'll check that out later okay. i mean okay. when we're off the air but out, yeah. all right yeah. and people can download their music uh your music yeah, I'm on, well i'm on amazon i mean we're on amazon apple spotify uh and there's i'm under rich layton and tough town but i'm also under rich layton and the troublemakers for a prior record prior album well, I highly recommend it. Uh, I had such a pleasure listening to you online, you know, um, and I know um, being able to see you live, I can't wait to do that too. I haven't seen a show yet. So. You know, see, 
I try to make our shows like music appreciation courses almost. So, you know, it's like, hey, you'll have, you'd have to drive 2,000 miles to hear this music tonight, you know, and I'll play something from Gold Band Records in Veal Platte, Louisiana. Uh, and as I've lived in a couple of different places in the country, discovering how incredibly rich the Gulf Coast musical heritage was and that, you know, people people got to hear that music, you know. People hear Zydeco music for the first time, and they, you know, Zydeco just lived in this little geographical part of the country for decades and decades and decades, and now people up here know what Zydeco is. Do you know what Zydeco music is? I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I'm just smiling and nodding. Okay. I have actually no clothes. So. Well, so imagine that, that French, French Creole Cajun music met black R&B music, and that's Zydeco music with an accordion as the primary instrument. The driving instrument is the accordion. And, uh, oh man, that, that is life-changing stuff. That is amazing. I just had an interview with Jenny Connolly from the Decemberists, and she played accordion on the show. So right. that was yeah, my, yeah, first, yeah. my first exposure to that kind of puppy, jazzy, folky feel that um, she has when she plays and that she brings to the Decemberists. Right, it was really right. cool. Oh, well, we so. should have done. I should have dropped records. I should have put some records on for you. Oh, totally fine. Uh, we can do that when we hang out sometime. All right. So, and then uh, you'll, uh, I hope that you might uh, share with me a recipe or two that I can share online. Yeah, I was thinking about, uh, uh, well, my, my sister-in-law is a gourmet cook, and we have collaborated on Ooh, recipes candy. because of candy and uh, uh, cakes, Ooh. and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, what else have we, we've made uh, flan, we've made espresso flan, we've made uh, espresso cheesecake. Well, just pick one or two. So, yeah. I mean, if that's all right. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I talked to her. I said, "Hey, I need to get. We need to get one of our recipes together and, and get it over." I, to you, I so. would love that. I know my listeners would too. And I'll I'll throw that in a description. Um, anyway, Rich, thank you so much for cool. being on this podcast. Yeah, yeah isn't this fun? fun? Yeah. And I'm. I hope that uh, now we know each other, we can hang out a little bit more sometime. All right, sounds good. All right. You're, you're, once you drink that coffee, you're going to be back. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to end with your quote. You said um, the quote is. If music is your true north, you're never lost. Is that what it says on oh, there? That, yeah, I probably did write that. Yeah, that that's is true. a yeah. that's a pretty amazing quote, and I'm sure that for anybody for any genre, that's that's a pretty cool thing. All right. If music is your true north, you are never lost. I did say that. You're like, wait a minute. I, like, I, I say did that? say that. Well, I I worked with a publicist for the last record, and she sent me this questionnaire, and it was like it really made me deep dive into who I am and why I do what I do and what it matters to me. And that's what, I, and I talked about it being my true north from, you know, this big. And it was like, I always describe music as the one true thing. The business can suck, the people can let you down, but the music never lets you down. And on that note, yep. thanks Rich. Right. Hug. Yay. All right, awesome. Thank you guys. I'm your host jazz singer Marty Mendenhall. Check out the new Marty's Music Kitchen Season 1 Cookbook featuring recipes, photos, and innovative QR codes so you can listen to the podcast while you cook. Buy it today at martymendenhall.com or on Amazon. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Marty's Music Kitchen. Music